Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to History of Europe, Key Battles, The Battle of Lepanto of 1571, Part 1 of 5. At around high noon on the 7th of October, 1571, two great fleets slowly approached each other in the waters of the Gulf of Patras, just off the western coast of Greece and engaged in what was the largest naval battle in Western history since Roman times, involving more than 400 warships. On one side were the Ottomans, the masters of the eastern Mediterranean, and a great power still on the rise. On the other were the combined forces of the Holy League, a coalition of Catholic maritime states hastily arranged by Pope Pius V, and comprising mostly the forces of King Philip II of Spain and the Venetian Republic. The Battle of Lepanto is seen today by many as the climax of a centuries-long struggle for supremacy between the forces of Christianity and Islam in the Mediterranean. The seemingly ever-growing Turkish threat to the Western Mediterranean had a decisive impact on Christendom in the 16th century, especially those countries which bordered the Ottoman Empire. Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, who reigned 1519 to 1556, was the most powerful ruler of Western Europe in his day. He and his fellow Christians found themselves confronted to their east by a powerful and expansionist Muslim state, well organised for war and possessing great resources of money and manpower, as well as ambition. Spain was one of the states under threat, its coasts exposed to pirates, its grain supplies from Sicily vulnerable and in its large Morisco population, potentially subversive population, tempted to collaborate with their fellow Muslims in Constantinople. The background to the conflict is described in previous podcasts. In the episodes on the Battle of Pavia, 1525, I talked about the rivalry between Charles V and the King of France, Francis I. The two sides signed a truce in 1529, and although the conflict would continue for years after, from this time it was clear that it was the Habsburgs, not the kings of France, who had of the upper hand in Italy. One important turning point was the defection of the head of the Genoese army, Andrea Doria, to the cause of Charles V in July 1528. Andrea Doria was a soldier of fortune, born into an impoverished branch of a noble family, but found fame and fortune, having proved himself an exceptional sea captain and military leader. 
In a separate set of episodes in the Battle of Mohach, 1526, I describe the conquest of much of the Kingdom of Hungary by the Ottomans. In the summer of 1529, the Ottoman ruler, Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent, was even bold enough to lay siege to the city of Vienna. Suleiman's campaign was a logical next step after defeating the Hungarians, for Vienna sits on the banks of the river Danube, which provided the best route across Eastern Europe for any army equipped with siege weapons. Yet practically speaking, Vienna was a step too far, at least for now. After failing to take the city, Suleiman turned his attention instead to the Mediterranean, which thus became the main arena of conflict between Christians and Muslims for the next three decades. Archduke Ferdinand, younger brother of Emperor Charles V, agreed a peace treaty with the Ottomans, which gave him the opportunity to forge a United Kingdom out of the patchwork of territories the Habsburgs had acquired in the East. Over time, this assortment of counties, bishoprics and hereditary duchies would be transformed into the Österreich, meaning Eastern Kingdom, known in English as Austria. Not only this, but the death of King Louis II at Mohach allowed Ferdinand to aspire to two further crowns, those of Hungary and Bohemia, extending Habsburg influence in the future further eastwards. One main focus of control for the Mediterranean was the coastline of northern Africa. From the late 1400s, the kingdoms of Spain and Portugal had both made considerable efforts to extend their influence in Africa. They claimed this was a continuation of La Reconquista, the reconquest by Christians of Muslim-held lands, on the basis that the area had once been part of the ancient Roman Empire. They ever only held a tenuous hold on the northern coastline of Africa, having occupied several ports such as Theuta, Oran, Bijaya and Tripoli. For centuries, ever since the fall of the Fatimid Caliphate in the 1100s, there had been no single predominant power in northern Africa. The petty Muslim dynasties, such as the Marinids of Morocco, Zionids of Algeria and the Hafsids of Tunisia, had been declining for years, so that by the early 1500s their rule was purely nominal. Their realms in fact ruled by petty chieftains, who paid lip service to their respective governments. This power vacuum was an ideal breeding ground for pirates, otherwise known as corsairs or Barbary pirates. The geography of the area also helped as it had plenty of shallow, half-hidden inlets and easily defended small harbours, while its winds were notoriously unpredictable, except to those familiar with the area. The Spanish and Portuguese may have been able to gain a firmer foothold on the African coast were it not for two exceptional corsair captains, the brothers Oruch and Hereddin. The eldest, also known as Baba Oruch, became known to the Europeans as Barbarossa on account of his red beard. Barbarossa means red beard in Italian. They were born on the island of Lesbos to a Greek mother and father of Albanian descent, who had served with the Ottomans as a janissary. By 1513, their military exploits against the Spanish had earned them a fearsome reputation, and they were commissioned by the Hafsid Sultan to lead a naval assault on Spanish-held Bijaya. The joint operation was not a success, but the next year they destroyed two Spanish fortresses at Bajaya, and when a Spanish fleet arrived for assistance, they headed towards Theuta and raided that city. They soon after captured small Christian-held ports in Algeria and Tunisia before raiding the coasts of Sicily, Sardinia, the Balearic Islands and the Spanish mainland.
in the year 1515, Aruj sent precious gifts to the Ottoman Sultan, Selim I, thereby gaining his favour, and in return was given two galleys and two swords embellished with diamonds. The Corsair captains were, by now, serious rivals for powers to the local sultans, who now began to openly attack them. In 1516, Aruj captured Algiers and deposed the Zionid Sultan. He became virtual ruler of Algeria, yet in so doing he had created many enemies. In 1518, he was trapped in a siege at the city of Tlemcen and killed by the Spanish. His brother, Hayreddin, who survived, inherited the name Barbarossa and soon proved himself a worthy successor. In 1519, Hayreddin led a successful defence of Algiers against the Spanish, but realised he could not hold out for much longer without support. So he wrote to Sultan Selim and requested Ottoman help against the Christians. The request could not have come at a better time, for Selim had just completed his conquest of Egypt. This gave the Ottomans, for the first time, a real interest in the naval balance of power in the Mediterranean and in the fate of North Africa. Hevedin's submission was accepted and he was appointed Regent of Algiers, and Ottoman troops and artillery were sent to support him. Thanks to the patronage of the two brothers, Algiers rose from being one of the many middle-ranking ports on the coast to eventually become the capital of a new nation. The frontiers they established still define the modern state of Algeria. Emperor Charles V, having gained the upper hand against Francis I in Italy, found it necessary to deal with the situation in the Mediterranean, both the problem of Corsair raids and the imminent Ottoman threat. In 1513, therefore, he asked Andrea Duria to clear a port west of Algiers by the name of Churchill of the pirate fleet operating from its harbour. The next year, Charles seized the Algerian port of Tlemcen. At the same time, in order to shore up his eastern frontier, he granted the island of Malta to Knights of St John, who had recently been removed by the Ottomans from the island of Rhodes. In 1532, Andrea Duria seized two ports in western Greece, Nafpaktos and Koron. In response, Sultan Suleiman appointed Hayreddin Barbarossa to lead the fight back against the Emperor's navy. He did not, however, commit his full resources, as he also had active campaigns in the east. As well as continued conflict against the Safavids of Persia, Suleiman also had interest in the Indian Ocean, where the Portuguese had recently forcefully taken control of the highly lucrative spice trade there. In 1535, Suleiman responded to calls for assistance from the Sultan of Gujarat to expel the Portuguese from a new fortress they had built at the port city of Dieu. An Ottoman fleet took just 19 days to cross the Indian Ocean and reach Dieu but backed off from armed confrontation, as the Portuguese were found to be well armed. Instead of fighting a second battle of Dieu, the two powers settled on a truce. The Portuguese recognised Ottoman control of Yemen, including the fortress of Aden, while the Ottomans agreed to make no further incursions into the Indian Ocean. By June 1534, Hayreddin Barbarossa had reorganised the Ottoman navy to confront the Christians of the Mediterranean. He sailed from the Bosporus in charge of a small but powerful navy and launched a devastating series of raids against the coastal towns of Italy. Town after town was pillaged and burned, and their inhabitants either murdered or forced to flee in terror. But the real target was northern Africa. 
Barbarossa doubled back on his tracks and attacked the port of Tunis, a place of great strategic importance, commanding a narrow stretch of sea between Africa and Sicily. The local Hafsid rulers were so weak they had come to depend on Christian support, making them even less popular than they were before among the ordinary Tunisians, and providing justification, if it were required, for the attack. The Hafsid Sultan hastily abandoned Tunis, allowing Barbarossa to easily capture the city. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It may be that Suleiman had initially intended to repeat this campaign against Italy annually, softening up the country before an eventual invasion. If this was the plan, it was soon after changed, and the bulk of the fleet were called to Constantinople to assist in an invasion of Persia. This left Barbarossa dangerously exposed, with scarce resources to defend the long coastline of northern Africa. In September 1534, Pope Clement VII died. His successor, Paul III, urgently appealed to Charles V to take action against the infidel Turks, whose naval activities were now in his own backyard. In the spring of the previous year, 1533, a small band of Spanish soldiers led by Francisco Pizarro had attacked the Inca Empire in Peru, murdered their emperor and claimed the Inca lands and treasures for themselves. Henceforth, a supply of gold and silver from the Americas would help finance Charles's campaigns. Charles was now at peace with France, and the Lutherans were not causing as many problems as before, making it the perfect time for Charles to mount a new crusade and to reclaim Tunis. As a cautious and peaceful man by nature, Charles first attempted to get his way by intrigue or diplomacy. But when it became clear this would not be possible, he organised a full-scale attack, with by spring 1534, 30,000 troops and a fleet of 400 ships. The voyage from the assembly points at Sardinia took just three days, and on the 17th of June, the imperial army arrived at the site of the ancient city of Carthage. Barbarossa did not dare to challenge so large a fleet, and instead strengthened the fortifications of Tunis. The main fortress was known as La Goleta, which in Spanish means the throat, so named because it stood on a narrow neck of land between the outer part of a lake and the inner basin which formed the city's harbour. And Charles chose this as his first target. In intensive close fighting, heavy losses were suffered on both sides, but eventually the imperial forces, led by the Knights of St John, broke through and captured the fortress. Charles, despite suffering from gout, led his men from the front, so capturing the affection of his troops. 
with La Goleta taken, it was just a question of time before Tunis fell. The three-day sack of the city was brutal, even by the standards of the day. The capture of Tunis was an important victory, but would have been more important if Barbarossa had been captured or killed. But while the drunken imperial troops were sacking the city, in the general chaos he managed to escape. He led a small fleet straight to a port of Mahon on the Christian-held island of Minorca and exacted a bloody revenge on its citizens. 800 were murdered, 5,700 taken prisoner and two Portuguese caravels captured. He went on to sack various towns along the coast of Valencia before being recalled to Constantinople, casting a dark shadow over what was otherwise a great victory for Charles. The people of North Africa, after centuries of relative quiet and a degree of independence, they found themselves on the front line between the two greatest powers of Europe. Meanwhile, on the diplomatic front, Suleiman was busy exploiting the rivalry between Charles and Francis I of France by offering favoured trade deals with the latter. For a long time, the Ottomans had enjoyed a close trading relationship with the Venetians and Genoese. In 1536, the French negotiated an extension of their privileges throughout the Ottoman Empire, similar to those enjoyed by Venice and Genoa, and in return accorded the Ottomans similar privileges in French territories. Negotiations even extended to considerations of a military alliance. Charles I was furious at the French for siding with the infidels, but could do little about it. Next, Suleiman sent an envoy to Venice, proposing that it join a French-Ottoman alliance, but the offer was rejected. Although for many years the Venetians had enjoyed relatively good relations with the Ottomans, in recent years distrust of the Ottomans had grown in Venice, due to an increase in conflict between the two sides, both on land in Dalmatia and in the Adriatic. In the year 1537, Barbarossa led another attack on Italy, this time focusing on Otranto, on the heel of Italy, which in 1480 had earlier suffered a similarly brutal assault. The city was sacked, and the coast for miles on either side was laid waste. To the great relief of the people of Italy, Barbarossa withdrew after a month, though he took with him thousands of captured men, women and children for sale in the slave markets of Constantinople. The next target was the Venetian island of Corfu, across the Ionian Sea, opposite Otranto, whose siege was led by Suleiman personally. Corfu was strongly defended, and for once the Ottoman navy seemed to have met its match. The citadel, despite constant battering from Turkish cannons and several attempts to take it by storm, somehow stood firm. The guns of Corfu even managed to sink two Turkish galleys and inflict heavy losses on the besiegers. When a ferocious storm struck and made it even more difficult for the Turks, Suleiman instructed Barbarossa to lift the siege and to instead attack softer targets among the Venetian possessions of the Adriatic. Quite a large number of Greek islands still flew the flag of St Mark over their cities and fortresses, ever since the sacking of Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade of 1204, when the victors had carved up the Byzantine lands between themselves. Some 25 islands were visited by the Turkish fleet. Some gave up without a struggle, or others bravely resisted. Either way, their towns were mercilessly sacked, and their inhabitants dragged off to be sold as slaves. The victory of Corfu had already gone sour, as every week brought reports of new losses. The Christian leaders, for all their promises, seemed incapable of working together to counter the Ottomans. 
For the Venetians, their former good understanding with the Turks was destroyed, and they agreed to join in a holy alliance with Charles and the Pope. Thus Suleiman's aggression helped create a union of the four greatest naval powers of Christendom. The joint fleet was composed of 36 galleys from the Papacy, 81 ships from Venice, 30 galleys from Spain and 49 galleys from Genoa. All were placed under the overall command of Charles's Admiral Andrea Doria. Barbarossa had fewer ships under his command but had the advantage of absolute command of all his subordinates and many of his captains had loyally served him for years. When the two sides met, the Ottoman fleet was in a small gulf next to a fortress by the name of Privetza. This was the same location as the Battle of Actium of 31 BC, a key turning point in the history of ancient Rome, the key battle in the civil war between the forces of Octavian on one side and Anthony and Cleopatra on the other. Unfortunately for the Christians, there was little unity of command, with each participant having their own priorities. Venetians and papal forces were keen to use this opportunity to land a major blow against the Ottomans. But Andrea Doria had been given instructions by Charles, whose priority was the Western Mediterranean, to act cautiously and to avoid any unnecessary risks. When Barbarossa refused to sail out of the bay, the respective Christian commanders could not agree on the next move. The papal and Venetian forces made repeated efforts to capture the fortress of Prevezza, but were not supported by Doria, were beaten back each time. With Barbarossa apparently determined to stay where he was in his defensive position, stalemate seems to have been reached, and the Allied fleet prepared to go home without having achieved anything. Then, to everyone's surprise, just when Doria began to sail away, Barbarossa sprang from the gulf and attacked the Venetians. Despite being caught by surprise, the Venetians gave as good as they got, waiting until the Turkish ships came close and then blasting one after another out of the water. They knew, however, that they could not hold on indefinitely. Everything depended on the swift return of Doria's galleys. Doria was only reluctantly persuaded to come to the aid of his allies, and having done so, did little to help them. Consequently, it was the Ottomans who were able to inflict the most damage before Barbarossa, as night fell, turned his ships back into the Gulf. John Julius Norwich writes that, quote, Doria, with the wind behind him, could still pursue the enemy at first light the next morning. His forces were far stronger, his firepower infinitely superior. With little difficulty at all, he could have turned the tables and inflicted heavy damage on the Turkish fleet. Instead, he ignored it utterly and headed back to Corfu. End quote. The reputation of Andrea Doria suffered due to his inaction. The question is still asked whether he lacked courage, simply made an error of judgment, or he did it out of hatred of Venice. For whatever reason, the result was that the Battle of Prevezza, 1538, was a clear victory for Barbarossa and the Ottomans. The biggest losers were the Venetians, who had no choice but to accept whatever terms for peace that Suleiman was prepared to offer. And the Sultan was in no mood for clemency, demanding Venetian possessions in the Morea and in Dalmatia as well as numerous islands in the Ionian and Adriatic seas. Venice also had to pay a war indemnification of 300,000 ducats of gold to the Ottoman Empire. It was a blow from which the Republic was never entirely to recover, and demonstrated clearly that the balance of power in the eastern Mediterranean had now swung decisively in favour of the Turks. The Christian West had failed once again to offer any concerted resistance, and if anything, Doria's actions had increased mistrust between the Western leaders.
It's good to be back after a break of a few months. My duties of councillor, I'm enjoying it very much. And I'm getting in the rhythm of it now, but it's also taking up a lot of time. So although I can continue with the podcast, there's no way I'll be able to continue at the same pace as I did before. But for sure, the second part of the Battle of Lepanto will be coming out next week, and I hope you can join me again then. I'd like to remind you that you can keep in touch by joining the Facebook group, just look up History of Europe, Key Battles, or also joining the, the Twitter feed, at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles, or the blog, www.historyeurope.net. And you can also write to me at carl at historyeurope.net. All the best until next week, and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.